Hey, youth workers, welcome back to the Youth Ministry Motion podcast, the podcast that keeps you motivated and your youth ministry moving forward. I am your host, Paul Turner from the discipleproject.net, here with another great episode of the podcast today. I hope that uh, all of you are doing well and you're uh, excited about this episode because I am, uh, because we're talking with Lane Seenbring from preachingdonkey.com. And uh, I'm excited to hear from him because he is all about the preaching, all about the message. And if you are looking to up your game in the area of communication, uh, I believe Lane is just going to bring it today. So be aware of that. That's going to happen here in a few seconds. And uh, also, uh, if you're brand spanking new to the podcast, first of all, I want to say welcome into you. I hope uh, that you're going to enjoy what you're going to hear today. And if you're a regular, I appreciate you joining back again. Uh, Would you consider that if this is your second, third, or fourth, or 15th, or 64th time listening to this podcast, would you go by iTunes maybe and leave a few stars in a review? That would help this podcast get found uh, in search and other places, as well as make my heart happy. So uh, if you'll do that, that would be wonderful. So uh, we're going to jump into it today, everybody. So get ready uh, to hear from Lane and uh, lots of great questions today about communication, preaching, teaching, all that kind of good stuff, how you can reach your students through the most important message uh, ever, and that is the gospel. So let's get into it. All right. Hey, welcome in, Lane. Appreciate you being on the show today. It's great to be here, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, you are uh, have all kinds of things going on in your life here. Uh, if people don't know who you are, uh, Lane Sebring, you are the author of Preaching Killer Sermons, which is a killer title, uh, and you also uh, do some writing and blogging out there over at uh, PreachingDonkey.com. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's where you can find me. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, we talked earlier, even before we got into actual show portion here, and we were joking about the fact that... Uh, uh, you know, as being a student that you, my first question was going to be, you know, do you recall any of your youth pastor's messages? Because I think as youth workers and as youth pastors, that's, I, I, and I can maybe only speak for me, but I think there's a lot of others who spend a lot of time prepping, preparing, hoping that that memorable message will will linger uh, and it, and you know, and for me, maybe it, it maybe it's just my preaching, but my mind lingers for about 10 seconds. And then, and then it's gone for, for, you know, uh, you know, and, but I, but I, but I, you know, I've asked kids before, I said, do you remember anything? And they can probably remember one out of probably 50 messages that maybe I did, but uh, you said you didn't recall many of your youth pastors message. Do you, do you remember anything about that, that your youth pastor standing up or do you remember any, maybe not no, the I, message, what, but uh, Paul, what I, what I meant was I, I didn't recall any, any time where they royally messed up. I, I remember oh. a lot of good things that, oh. I, I, that. Okay. Well, let's talk about that then. Let's talk about, let's talk about, uh, um, where they, where they, if you tell me what they did, great. What, what was your youth pastor like that made such an impression on you as far as his communication skills? Yeah. So, um, I, I'll first tell you a little bit about kind of, um, you know, my journey and where I'm, where I'm from yes, and please, and that'll, uh, that'll give a little bit of context to it. So I grew up in Oklahoma city, uh, a little suburb of Oklahoma city called Mustang, which is just Southwest of Oklahoma city. And I grew up in, uh, uh, when I was young, really young, kind of smaller churches. And I, you know, I, I'm a fan of smaller churches, There's nothing wrong with them, but these were the churches that were small for a reason. You know what I mean? Like sure. they were small because they were poorly led and, and had no vision and, and even as a as a young kid, um, I 
I always felt like there was something missing. I felt like there was something more. I loved the church. I loved ministry. I loved being there. But I would see friends of mine at school that would that went to this this particular church in town that had you know a large youth group, and it's not all about the numbers. But as a high schooler, you know, as a freshman in high school, I'm looking at this going, "Hey, that looks like a lot of fun." You know what I mean? And it looks like they're doing some cool stuff. And so um, when I was about 15, I actually started going to that church. I went to my parents and I said, "Hey." I know this is weird, and I know you guys are really connected at this little church we go to, um, but I would really love to go to this this other church. And um, so we talked through it, and they, they said, "Okay, fine, you can you can do that." So I plugged in, and that was that was the the end of my freshman year in high school. And so I was there um, my sophomore, junior, and senior year in this youth group of about two hundred and fifty students, and it was it was the best experience of my life at that time. It, it introduced me to church. It introduced me to this, this world of, of making disciples and ministry and student ministry. And so I'm just exceedingly grateful for what that church did for me. And then when I graduated high school, I started, you know, attending a, a university there not too far in, in Oklahoma city. And my youth pastor approached me and said, Hey, would you want to come on and be an intern in the student ministry, which was like a dream come true. So I, I decided, yeah, I'll do that. So I, I did that at that church for two and a half years. And then I went to another church in Oklahoma and I did a student ministry internship for a year. And then I had an opportunity to move to the DC area in 2007, right when I graduated college. And I moved to DC, a little suburb of DC in Northern Virginia. And I worked as a student uh, pastor at a church for about six years, and then my role changed to more of like family ministries pastor, and then my role changed again to associate pastor for the last three years until um, I moved to Knoxville. So I, I was at that church for about 10 years, six of those doing student ministry. So altogether, between those six years of full-time student ministry and then the three and a half that I did internships, I, I did student ministry for almost a good solid 10 years. So I have a lot of appreciation for what you do as, as student pastors and your audience. I know you, you have a varied audience, but mostly student ministry pastors. And so I just want to say to your listeners, I've been in the trenches. trenches. I know what you do. I know the struggle. Uh, and I know it's harder and harder all the time. I know I know every every generation of students has its own challenges. And when I look at what the current student ministry pastors deal with, um, my heart goes out to them because I just think it hasn't been that long since I've been in that position. But even some of the challenges, because they come so quickly, uh, they can tend to be very, um, they, they, they can, they, they just accelerate. It's hard to keep up with caring for, for teens um, these days. So I just want to say huge shout out to, to you guys who do this work because I, uh, I have a lot of admiration for you. So going back to your, your question about um, what stood out to me, so I had two youth pastors at that church. One was a guy named Buddy Hunter, and he's actually in his 32nd year of student ministry, still God still leading student ministry, and he's in the Tulsa area. In fact, Paul, he's a, he would be a great guy for you to interview. Uh, I can put you in touch with him if you don't know him, but he um, he was he was awesome. He had a lot of he had a lot of things that he would go back to, a lot of kind of standing um, lessons and things. That, but the most impactful thing to me was he talked about the open hand policy and he would hold his hand up and with his palm out and his fingers, you know, all five fingers open. And he would say, this is our approach to God. Our hands are open and our palms are out saying, God, you can put anything you want in my hand and you can take it away. And he said, the problem is a lot of times we'll close up a pinky or close up our ring finger and try to hold on to something. 
And the problem with that is we're holding on to something that maybe God wants to take away, and our hand isn't open to receive what God wants to give us. And as a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid dealing with life and what life was going to bring me and choices and all kinds of temptation, that spoke to me so powerfully. And it's just a simple illustration. And he did it every, I mean, he did it every few months. You know, he would talk with open hand policy and he personalized it, talked about his own journey. (laughs) But that for me was huge. And it's one of the things that really, really sticks out to me. The next student pastor that I had, and this was the guy that I worked for, is a guy named Matt McClure. He also still does student ministry in the Tulsa area. And what stood out uh, with him for me was his his creativity and his uh, how relational he was. Um, he he really took me under his wing, and he was uh, he was one of the first people who who looked at me, one of the first leaders who looked at me and said, "I believe in you. I think God's going to do something big in your life, and I want to be a part of it. I want to invest in you." And that was pretty amazing. Um, so that doesn't really have to do with teaching, but I think it's important for those of us who communicate to remember that, you know, the, the old adage, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's especially true in student ministry. So I would say that's, that's my journey. And that's so far what I can recall that stood out to me uh, the most. Well, you know, too, and I think communication isn't, we bank on the, the, the 20 minute message, right? Where we prepare, we put a lot into it. We, you know, for that midweek or that Sunday night or whatever it is, but in reality, we're always communicating. We're, we're always communicating with students. We're always communicating like your youth pastors communicated with you that, hey, look, I believe in you. Uh, I, I want to invest in you. I want, uh, uh, I want to see you on your journey. And so I think youth workers, you know, uh, I think we spend a lot of time, uh, you know, focused on the midweek message. And, then, and so we should. But I think we also need to realize that we're always communicating. Where it's not like we, well, it's not like we, it's not like we we gear up, right? We get ramped up for the twenty minute message, and then suddenly we can just sort of like, you know, breathe a sigh of relief and go, "Wow, I don't have to communicate anymore. That's <laughs> that's awesome. I can just shut up now for like seven more days and just you know, you know, refuel or something, so I can get up and do it again." Right, and and especially with students, they're not going to fall for that. I mean, they don't they don't buy that stuff. You know, that doesn't. You're not sincere. You, you they'll see right through it. Oh, no question, no question. And and like I said, we, we do put uh, – I know a lot of youth workers who who um, have a little bit of a freak out come Wednesday night because they're not – they're not secure maybe in their in their abilities. They, they are you know either really young uh, and have not maybe gone to school or uh, maybe even guys that are my age uh, that are older – that um, are volunteers, and you know they're they're trying to figure out how, you know they they they're bivocational uh, things like that. Are there some general principles that you would look at and and how a youth worker can get his mindset to be about how he approaches that weekly message to where it doesn't either freak them out or overwhelm them or you know because uh, they're going to stand up. Some are, some are very comfortable with teenagers and some are not. Some are you know that maybe communication is not their their top scale level. Sure. I, I think that there's a, a few, a few things generally that every youth worker can do. And I think that at, at a minimum, every youth worker should be doing this when you, when you're talking about mindsets. So what should a youth worker do? What should their mindset be when approaching a weekly message? I think a, I think uh, there's a, there's an old uh, illustration that I really loved from Ed Young, where he talked about the difference between pride and fear and how um, we can tend to be prideful 
we feel like it's all about us, right? So we're going to step up, we're going to teach, and the, the people are just going to flood forward, and and they're going to tell everybody, and the senior pastor is going to be so appreciative because you know I, I I led this huge you know youth revival. It's just like the, the schools are changed, so we can have this kind of approach of pride or fear where we where we have this sense of. I'm not good enough and God can't use me. And what if they reject me? And what if I'm not prepared? And neither one of those are okay because both of them basically make it about us, right? Pride makes it about us because I'm going to win. Fear makes it about me because I'm going to lose, right? And both of those are bad. So he talked about in the middle is what he calls Godfidence, which is this concept of it's a holy confidence. It's a Godfidence in what God can do through you um, because you're not perfect and you you do mess up, but you have prayed, you have prepared, you have confessed your sin, you have you have done what you can uh, as far as you can do to ensure that your relationship with God is strong, and so you have Godfidence, and that's a mindset thing. It's 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 not necessarily step one, step two, step three, and it's a daily and weekly and monthly uh, resetting of your the way you think about yourself and your role as a, as a youth worker. So that's a mindset. But in terms of practical stuff, I would say, you know, when I was in student ministry for the, for the six years that I was, you know, the guy that I, I did it. And I I took a a group of seventh through 12th graders all the way through and, you know, everything in between, but I, it was kind of neat to see at least one group go from seventh grade to eighth grade to ninth grade, to 10th grade, 11th grade to 12th grade, and then graduate them off. And, in that in that time of, of being this student ministry pastor, uh, the the hardest thing for me was finding time to focus on it. Because when you're a student ministry pastor, you you run a little church. I mean, I, I was I was responsible for weekend worship services, small groups, missions, you know, uh, everything but kids ministry, right? So Hallelujah. Uh, within a within a student, at least this was our this was kind of our model. I'm not saying it's a good model or a bad model. I'm saying it's what we did. Right. We we had basically a little mini full service church and I was the pastor and had one assistant. And so, uh, finding time to prepare was very challenging. But what I found was that, um, getting the opportunity to stand in front of the entire group and cast vision and lead as a, as a, as a visionary directional leader, disciple, um, point them in the direction of the, of the gospel and point them towards Jesus was just too important for me to uh, put aside. And so I had to really work on um, making, making, working into my schedule, just non-negotiable time. And I have stuff on my, on preachingdonkey.com about a weekly sermon prep schedule, which would definitely help any student pastor be able to look at it and say, okay, where, where in my week can I carve out time? And knowing that there's going to be interruptions and knowing that there's going to be things I can't, I can't help, but Generally speaking, I can carve these out on most weeks and be able to do that. I think between those two things that you've got the time to prepare and you're preparing well, and you've got that holy confidence, that's the kind of mindset shift that it takes to approach the weekly message well. Well, and all well said, Lane, because the, uh, and by the way, we're going to put the link to that uh, article in the show notes below, audience, so you can check it out there. Uh, as well as Lane's got a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of articles there. You could get lost in there with as many articles that are in there 
uh, as far as prep, as far as uh, styles of message, all those various things. And so I want to encourage you to stop by uh, PreachingDocky.com. And uh, I love what you said about the fact that we, you know, <laughs> that we're going to get up there, we're going to win, right? I don't know how many times, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know how many times I've, you know, I think we've all had that where we felt like we had a winner in our pocket, right? We just sort of said, oh, this is it. This is the deal. This is going to change everything. This yeah. is going to it's going to revolutionize the world. And then um, <clears throat> maybe it didn't do quite what we thought it was going to do. It did not necessarily revolutionize the entire world. But that having that word Godfidence is such a, so important and so critical uh, because that is the balance, right? That is the balance of things that says, listen, I can't do this without God. I don't want to do it without God. And I, I, and I you know. And I want God to be to empower me, and it's such a. I think that brings such humility, doesn't it? It just it. You have to be humble up there. You have to say, "Look, I'm I'm just a dude <laughs> that just happens to be talking and and sharing God's word, and then letting God kind of kind of uh, move through that. Right? He moves through the humble far more than he moves through the prideful. Right, and I, I think the the tendency is. To say, well, I, I don't want to be prideful, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be really really humble, and and it turns into kind of a false humility of you know somebody says you did a good had a good you know your message was good, and your response is oh I'm terrible I'm nothing, and and, and that doesn't work either. You know uh, Tim Keller, he, I don't know where he got this. Maybe he came up with it. Maybe he didn't. But he said um, uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself; it's thinking of yourself less. And I think sometimes when it comes to preaching and teaching, especially if you're the youth pastor, this is very common. So you're, you're the youth pastor of your church. Let's say you're brand new and you're, you're just getting started. Your lead pastor looks at you and says, okay, well, we need to get you in front of everybody. So why don't you preach on, you know, May 26th, you know, on Sunday and you get all fired up about it. You write your sermon. You're so excited. You preach it. And because you're 26 and are 24 and are 23 and you can put two words together in a sentence, everybody's blown away. Right. And they want to encourage you and they want to, they want to pump you up and they want, they, they want you to win. And, and they're happy to have a break from the lead guy. And, but, but they're going to be glad he's back next week because you're not that polished, but they flood you with compliments. Right. So, so what you can, what can happen is as a new communicator, you can start to feel like, wow, well, I mean, so-and-so said that was great. So-and-so said it was the best they've ever heard. And so-and-so said it was better than what we normally get. And you can start to get this sense of, wow, I'm, I must be, I must be really good at this. You know, like I, in fact, the world needs to hear my voice, you know, and, and that can, that can go a lot of really bad ways. But the answer to that is never to say, well, because I don't want to be prideful, God just can't use me. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to go crawl under a rock. And that's where that confidence has to come in because when you step onto a platform to speak, whether it's to your student ministry, if you're guest speaking somewhere or it's your church on Sunday, if you're not confident of the calling you have and what God can do through your words, if you're not confident that God can use the words that are coming out of your mouth to affect change in people's lives, you should not be speaking, period. So you've got to get to a place where you believe that you've got something to contribute and that God can use you. Yeah. And unless you can do that in a way that's confident and not prideful or full of fear, you still need to work on it. Wow. And it's not going to be perfect every time, but that's the goal. That's it, man. That's that's a powerful statement there. That's wow. That's that's something, listeners. If you if you haven't written that down or or carved it somewhere, uh, you need to go just hit the rewind button for about five seconds and write that down. That the confidence level uh, of saying, "Listen, that God can use me." 
Uh, you know, God can use me if 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 He can use a donkey, right? He can use yeah. me, right? Yeah. That's that's the phrase right. that pays there, right? Yeah. And um, let's jump into real quick about uh, you know I mentioned about preaching and teaching because some people are great teachers, some people are great preachers, uh, some are both, uh, some maybe neither. Uh, there, are, you know, there are we we see churches that um, necessarily don't have a great preacher, but they have a great teacher. Uh, as their as their pastor, and is it is it a matter of one or the other? Is it find your own niche and stick with that? Uh, does the teacher need to ramp it up to preaching, and does the preacher need to ramp it down a little bit into the teaching zone? How does how does one balance that? Because everybody kind of feels like, well, I'm not really a preacher. I just sort of show up and I deliver God's word. And, uh, you know, and then the preacher says, you know, well, I got all this enthusiasm that I can't stop long enough to teach. I just got to keep rolling with this. Um, is there, what's the, what's the balance in all that? Is it pick one? Is it mix it up? Is it, how do we go about that? Yeah, that's such a good question. Such a good question. Well, here's, here's how I would uh, attempt to answer that. Um, in Ephesians four, Paul says that God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And that's the, that's the verse we go to when we're trying to talk about volunteering and, you know, we're trying to get people to sign up for things. And, and it's good. I mean, that, that's, that's the way the church should work, that those who, those who lead are, are leading to equip the saints to do the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. But that, that, those five positions, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, that it's been, you know, called APEST, A-P-E-S-T, on that, you basically can look at it like a spectrum. On one end, you have apostles and prophets, and I'm not even speaking theologically, depending on you know if you still think there's apostles or prophets. I'm not getting into that. I'm, I'm talking about more the personality traits or the, the, the overall gifting of what an apostle prophet does, and then evangelist in the middle, and then shepherd teacher on the other side. So if you look at it like a continuum, Right. Apostles and prophets are directional leaders. They're change makers. I think of people like Craig Rochelle, who's going to stand up and just take the hill and say, we're, we're going this direction. And if you're coming with us, then let's go, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, and then, and then on the other side, you've got shepherds, teachers, and that's probably guys more like, um, maybe John Piper, who is, is going to really dig into, or, uh, Tim Keller is going to really dig into the uh, the scriptures in a very deep way. Both of them are going to stand up and preach. One's going to take more of a um, apostle prophet. Hey, this is what you need to do. This is the life change that can happen. This is why it needs to happen. And the other is going to really dig into the text of the word. They're both going to be biblical, hopefully. They're both going to be uh, grounded in scripture. They're going to approach it in different ways. And a lot of that has to do with gifting and personality. And it's really hard to define because you know, you would be hard pressed to say that what John Piper did for 40 years wasn't preaching, right? right and and right. you'd be hard pressed to say that what Craig Rochelle does isn't teaching. They're, they're, they're both in and of the same. But I think a lot of it has to do with who are you as a person? What's your personality? How has God gifted and wired you? I know for me, I'm, I lean more personality-wise towards the apostle prophet more than the shepherd teacher, but I... Um, I love to teach and I, I love to, I, I love to, uh, help people understand the scriptures, but I like to do it in a way that is, um, hopefully compelling and, um, moves and motivates people. I, Cause I think if I could define the difference between teaching and preaching, just, just in the most basic terms, 
Preaching is geared towards action. Preaching has an aim. It has an objective. It is to change a life. Teaching may have that same aim, or teaching may just be information transfer. And that's why, that's why um, you know, teachers aren't called preachers necessarily, like school teachers, right? They're not called school preachers because their job is to teach students how to think and how to how to, you know, how to do these math problems and how to figure out these equations and all, all the, and how to have correct grammar. They're teaching, they're trying, they're giving information. So I think in a, in a preaching, teaching context, the preacher is thinking about how do I get these people from where they are to where I believe God wants them to be? Or how do I get these people from where they are to where God wants them to be? How, how do I become a change, a change agent in their life? using my words and my influence on their life. Whereas the teacher might just be, how do I get these people to understand this concept? Because if they understand this concept, the word of God is going to uh, never return void. It's going to be in their hearts and in their souls and in their minds. And it's going to make a difference. Both of them are, both of them are speaking. Both of them are teaching, but they're very, they're very symbiotic. Uh, the last thing I'll say about that, I don't know if I'm making any sense or not, You're but the last thing I'll say is, a, is when I think of teaching, I think the best teaching is a little more dialogical and interactional than preaching. Okay, So preaching, you can get away with a straight monologue, just you up there talking. And that's one of the reasons why, by the way, preaching has to be so on point and so clear, concise, and compelling. Because if it's not, you'll lose people because it's a, it's, a, it's a one man or one woman show. Whereas teaching... Teaching is, <laughs> by its very nature, is, is intended to be participant-oriented, or at least the best teaching is. Right. Um, so you're engaging them in a, in a lot of different ways. So I would say in terms of pick one or both, I think a lot of it has to do with your, your wiring and gifting and the setting, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm doing a, uh, a student ministry retreat for uh, actually my old student ministry. They're inviting me to do this retreat with um, a group of high schoolers at a like you know retreat center, and it's going to be probably thirty or forty of you know of their students. Well, I'm not going to stand up and give this big full volume sermon each session. It's going to be a, it's going to be sitting down and in a circle and, and a lot of dialogue and a lot of interaction, and it's going to still have the aim of, of life change, but done differently. So. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Well, no, absolutely. Because if you have, I, I guess, too, for our listeners, which I'm so glad you said, because I think everybody has to lean into who they are, right? They have to. They can't be somebody they're not. They can't be, you know, we, and I, and at least in my denomination, I will say this, that I think there's too many people trying to be somebody else. I don't know if you would agree with that or not, but they're, they're trying to be somebody else rather than be themselves. And God can use both. And, I, and for me, at least, there's... Um, uh, you know, I like to have I like to have b- both somewhat fluctuating between the message. I, I think there are times during the message where I am just spitting fire, right? I am just going for it, and then there then there's a moment where it says, "I don't think I'm connecting here. I think I need to switch into a teaching mode here because I don't think my audience is getting what I'm saying." Say, so let me show you something. You know, I mean, I, like I saw an illustration uh, the other day was um, uh, uh, Furtick was doing a, an illustration. And he was doing the, the, the change, you know, where, where, you know, giving God what, uh, 
you know, being able to give God what's in our hand and then being able to receive, kind of like what you said earlier. And here he is doing this illustration, right? And normally, w- at least when I've seen Furtick preach, I mean, he is going for it. He is just, you know, setting the place on fire and all that. And then I see him doing this illustration. I'm going, yeah, that's exactly how I kind of feel in that, in my sense, at least, is that if I don't think my audience is getting what I'm saying from a, from a, from a louder point of view, I'm going, well, maybe I need to bring it back in and say, okay, let me, let me break this down this way then. And uh, I just think if you're listening, if you're a youth worker and you're listening and saying, listen, do I have to be Stephen Furtick every week? Do I have to be, you know, Craig Rochelle? Do I have to be uh, Lane Sebring? Do I have to be these guys? And I think we're agreeing, Lane, that we, we don't. We just have to be who God called us to be. Is that is that a fair statement that we can kind of release the pressure valve a little bit of trying to be something we're not? No, I think God wants us to try to be someone else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow, I've been doing it wrong, Lane. I've been doing yeah, it wrong. Yeah, no, Paul. I mean, you're so right. And the, the thing is, I I can speak to this. I can speak to this completely firsthand. Okay, I used to try to be. I, I used to get these guys that I would listen to, and I would just fall in love with their preaching. And I would think if I could just preach like them, yeah, then I would have the influence they have. And and to be honest. You know, it, you look at these people that lead these massive churches, and, and it looks really appealing. It looks really sexy, and you think, oh, I, it, they must be just on top of the world. I can't even imagine what that would be like. And especially when you're young and you're first starting out, you look at them and you think, I want to be like them. And so I, I wanted to be Craig Rochelle, so I did fill-in-the-blank outlines and said things like, very, very serious, you know. And then I wanted to be Matt Chandler, so I yelled a lot and tried to be really deep and insightful and preach for 50 minutes, and that doesn't work with students. Then I wanted to be Stephen Furtick, so I grabbed a tunic and leggings and a handheld mic and started doing lunges on the stage and dropping deep lines that would inspire people. And it just didn't work with me. It works with him, it didn't work with me. For a while, I wanted to be Perry Noble, so I started yelling offensive things in a southern accent. Works for him, not so much for me. You know, then I wanted to be Andy Stanley, so I attempted to be whimsical and folksy, and I can't do that, right? So then I want to be Tim Keller, and yeah, I gave up on trying to be Tim Keller. But I, I think who, like who can be Tim I, Keller, really? I mean, who can? What comes yeah, close to that? Exactly. Really? When I listen to him, I just get insight envy. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I think you know it's 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 exhausting to try to to be someone you're not. And and Matt Chandler said one time that, and I can't remember the verse, but there's a verse when when I think Paul is instructing Timothy or some other young pastor, and he says, "Fulfill your ministry." Right? He doesn't say fulfill your hero's ministry. He doesn't say try to be Stephen Furtick and make sure you're using a handheld mic and you know. <laughs> Do your thing. Do what God has called you to do, which may include a tunic and leggings, if that's your thing. Um, But it may not, and that's okay. And you don't have anything to prove, and you don't have to be someone you're not. And that can be incredibly freeing to the person who feels like, you know, I just don't have the... I don't have the swag they have. I don't have... Whatever they... whatever, And that's just not me. I'm just telling you it doesn't have to be. Um, Because here's the thing. You, you are the only you there will ever be, period. End of story. You have a unique voice. You have a unique set of experiences. And you have a unique calling. And to try to, try to be someone you're not, I think, is an insult to your creator. Because he created you as you. And he gave you a calling. And to, and to deny that 
and say, I, I, I don't like me. I don't like the way you wired me. I don't like the experiences you gave me. So I'm going to go copy this other person and just try to be them. Number one, you're never going to be as good. Nope. You know, you're going to be, you're going to be a not so good. You're going to be a, a, a wannabe that's not as good as that person. And people are going to see right through it. And you're also cheating yourself and your listeners out of you because there's only one you. And, and I think um, th- for those of us who really look up to these people and they're polished and they're they're, they're good. We can learn from them. And I have no problem learning from people. And, and I, a lot of what I write is an accumulation of years of studying what works and what doesn't, because these guys and, and gals know what they're doing. And that's, and that's okay to follow them and, and try to see what they're doing and try to emulate it. Um, but when we, when, when we try to copy and be someone we're not, it takes us in a lot of bad, bad directions. So no be you. Be you, man. You do you, right? You do. Absolutely. You. Uh, let me ask a quick question. Uh, how did communication? I mean, because you you started a whole you know website around it, right? You, you about communication about how did how did preaching or teaching or communication, all those things, how did that become your passion? How did you know? He says, Man, "I'm gonna. I think that's my lane. I'm gonna stay in that lane." Sure. Well, uh, th- there's there's a few things that have contributed to it over the years. The the first one I would say is when I was. Uh, 16, 15, 16 years old, I went to a camp. I went to a, a student ministry camp. It was called Super Summer in Oklahoma. And it, it's a camp that's intended for leaders. So it's kind of a, a, a selected group within each student ministry where the youth pastor says, these are the people who I feel like are have leadership potential and I want to in, invest in them. So they take us to this camp. And I remember the first year I was going, they said, um, okay, it's going to be, it's, you know, who's the speaker? I remember asking who's the speaker. Cause I've always been into who the speaker was and, you know, and the youth camp speakers were always a lot of fun, you know, and they said, oh, it's this guy. He's the senior pastor at, you know, some church in, in town in, uh, in Edmond, Oklahoma. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, really? Like, cause <laughs> the only context I had for, you know, the senior pastor is going to come. It was going to be some guy wearing a suit saying, okay, young people, uh, we're going to get into the word of God. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord today? Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the second chapter. I mean, so, and there's nothing wrong. I'm just saying as a 16 year old kid, like that's what I envisioned. Yes. Well, so we get to the first night of camp and it actually turned out to be the senior pastor of Life Church, Craig Rochelle. And I'd never heard of him, never heard of the church, but I was blown away. This was 2001, and he's up there the very first the very first night. He says, "We are going to get gut level real," and I thought, ah, "Okay, I'm in. I want to get gut level real," you know. And I still remember this was 2001. This we're talking 17 years ago, and I still remember things he said. I still remember um, he introduced to me to to, to us Galatians 1:10. Am I now trying to win the approval of people or of God, or am I still trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Mm. That hit me like a ton of bricks, and it, it was in the in the context of a message about uh, standing up to fear of other people. And as a 16 year old kid, I mean that was life changing, and and it was life changing because the way it was presented reached me. The way it was presented got inside my heart and inside, inside my soul like nothing else could. And had he stood up there and said, okay, young people, let's go to Galatians 1.10. Now the Apostle Paul, in, in the first chapter of the 
of the letter to the churches in Galatia, he was writing uh, because there was some conflicts with the Judaizers who were getting into uh, the, the the new Christians there and trying to force them into. I mean, okay, so there's nothing wrong with. It. I'm just saying, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Can you say that again, Lane? I went to sleep. I oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm sorry. So, so there's a time and place for that, and we need to know that. But I'm saying what got to me was the truth that was packaged and presented so compellingly and so clearly and so concisely that I couldn't escape it. And then it gave the opportunity for that scripture to come alive in my heart and in my mind in a way that it needed to, to change me. And so for, you know, when I was a junior and senior in high school, if I was ever tempted to be concerned or worried or overly concerned about what people thought, I would remember, am I now trying to win the approval of these people or of God? Because if I'm still trying to win the approval of these people, I'm not a servant of Christ. And it was all I needed. And I'm not saying I, I, I won every battle in that area. I mean, being 15 and 16 is hard I mean, from, the, from the perspective of wanting to win approval from people. But it went back to it was presented in a way that I couldn't escape. Now, that's what got me started on this, this idea of, wow, what, what made that so compelling? And, and what makes all these other communication pieces when people, when some people preach and you go, huh, I don't remember anything. And when other people do it, you say, wow, what, what makes the difference? And so I actually studied communication in college. I majored in, uh, I went to the University of Central Oklahoma. I majored in communication and I learned, um, I learned the kind of clinical principles of what actually makes people makes what are, what actually connects with human beings. And that has served me well as I write about communication because I learned kind of the science of communication. Then I went to seminary and I learned how to bore everyone with the Bible. And, um, and so when I got out of seminary, I thought, wow, what a shame that we have the most important message in the world. And yet the way we communicate it is so, uh, clinical and so, you know, it has to be this, this, this certain way and it has to be, you know, it, and, and it's like, it's almost like we were taught in seminary to preach to an imaginary audience of biblical scholars. Um, so we were taught to, right? to preach as if everybody in our audience was our professor and we're, we're preaching to, per, to impress him. Yes. And I hated that because most people, students in our student ministries and people in our, in our churches, they're not biblical scholars. They're not our seminary professors. They're people who need to know and hear the truth of the Word of God in a way that can change them. And so what I started thinking about and writing about was, listen, a lot of pastors, whether it's youth workers or otherwise, leave a message, and and the, the, the temptation is to think, did I say all the words that I needed to say? Which is not a good question to ask. The better question to ask is, did they hear what they need to hear so they can do something with it? So that puts the emphasis on the listener, right. and now I have to get outside of my own head and think, what do they need? How are they going to be reached? What's going to reach? What's, what's going to impact them? Um, and so communication is about the listener, not about the not about the person delivering the message. So preaching donkey kind of was born out of this idea of, okay, if that's true, then how can I um, help preachers communicate better? How can I help if God can speak through a donkey like he did in Numbers 22 to get a message across, an important message across, then how can I equip 
pastors and preachers and teachers to not just ask, did I say the words I needed to say, but to really hone into, I and, and are the words that are coming out of my mouth landing in people's lives in a powerful way? And if they're not, then why not? Yeah. Well, what do I need to do? How can I adjust? And so that's what I write about. And like you said, I've got, you know, dozens of articles. I've got a podcast, the Preaching Donkey Podcast, and then the book, Preaching Killer Sermons. All of that is born out of this passion that I've never really been able to shake. Well, that's, uh, I love, you know, when you talk about Craig Rochelle, and I think one thing he did probably that I, at least I, I think every good preacher does is he set the expectation, right? He says, we're about to get real. And then he, then he went ahead and he got real. <laughs> and then, you know, he said what he was said he was going to do, then he did it. And then he, and then he, uh, he just framed it. I, and I think that's one thing uh, all good communicators do is that when you get up there, you say, look, this is what we're going to do. And then we do what we say we're going to do. And, um, and all the resources, by the way, that you have on, on, on PreachingDonkey.com, that's, uh, that's, like you said, is there to help people do things like that. It, I mean, it's, it, you, you know, you, and I'm about to say something like so egregious here that you don't have to go to seminary to be a great preacher. And I, I don't know how you feel about that, but – but I don't think you – because there's so many bivocational volunteer youth workers that are never going to step through the door of a seminary and, and you're listening to this podcast. I'm going to say it and I, I don't know if Lane will back me up here. But God can use you even if you didn't go to seminary. God only uses people who went to seminary. Paul, oh, you know. you're crushing me. You're crushing <laughs> dreams. No, and I, I, could, I couldn't agree more. I mean honestly um, – you know, you, you, if, if God has called you to do this, he'll equip you. And if you're, if you are eager and hungry, uh, I, here's what, here's what you get from seminary. You, you get forced to read books and write papers. That's it. So if, if you, if you have the discipline to, to read and, and I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually releasing a series on my blog of the best five books on any given topic. So one went out today as of, as of this record. I'm not sure when this is going to publish, but today when we're recording this, I had the best five books on leading change. I've got the best five books on a, a number of topics coming out and I'll have some of those theologically. So for example, <laughs> you could get on there and you could read the best five books on, on, you know, on theology, the best five books on the Old Testament, best five books on the New Testament, best five books on preaching, and before too long, you basically have a self-taught seminary degree. Sure, all you don't have is a piece of paper on your wall. But um, you know, the, some of the best, some of the best people out there didn't go to seminary or didn't get a seminary degree in a formal sense. And um, then there's people, and I'm sure you've seen this as well. They they go to Bible college, right? They get their Bible degree, then they go to seminary, they get their MDiv, then they get their doctorate. And they don't know anything <laughs> about leading a church, about the people that are going to be mad at them, about how they're going to have the best event ever. And because they left two cones in the parking lot, somebody's going to be all mad about it, and they're going to get in trouble for it. And it's going to be the most deflating thing they've ever experienced yeah. because they were on top of the world last night, yeah. only to come into the office the next day and be ripped apart because one thing was out of place. And they don't teach you that in seminary. And, and they spent um, a lot of money to get that no education there. Yeah, yeah, a lot of money for that, right? So I'm not, I'm not anti-seminary at all. I'm not either. I want to point that out. I think everybody needs to do what I I did it. um, 
And I, you know, I, I went to two different seminaries. I finished at, I went to Southern and I finished at Liberty and I, and I loved it. I, I had a, I had great times and I was really glad to be over. In fact, I finished in July of 2014 and I started preaching donkey in July of 2014. And do you think there's some kind of coincidence there, you know, mm. um, because when I was in seminary, I just had no bandwidth to do anything else. And, but what it did for me was it taught me discipline and it taught me what I'm capable of. And so once I got out, I thought, well, I need, I need to, I need to dig into a passion of mine. And so that's when I started it. So I would say, do what, do what you're called to do. And, you know, it can't hurt, but it's also not the end all be all. Right. And I, and I am on the other end of the spectrum where I went to Bible college because I thought I was supposed to go to Bible college. That lasted about three months. And uh, I was not an academic guy. I just said, listen, I got to go out and I just got to, and I shipped myself off to a discipleship school out in Phoenix, Arizona. And I just said, listen, I just got to go do, I just want to go do the gospel. I just want to go. I mean, look, and, and God bless them. They, they tried their best. And, and I tried, uh, I wasn't great in school or anything like that. Uh, but because I did not have uh, formal training and, and things like that, is I just said, look, I have to be disciplined. I, I, I mean, I was reading, I mean, I was, what was I, 19 years old reading John Stott, I'm like, okay, that's we're going there, and I just I just dug into anything I could find and get hungry for it, and 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 um, and just filled myself with as not just necessarily information, yeah, but but also the how tos of saying I can get better at this, I can uh, I can uh, do that, and I, I sense that there's two, you know, there's all kinds of listeners listening to this, and they're finding themselves on the various parts of the spectrum of this. And I think we just go back and say, listen, just you do you. Don't feel guilty if you don't have the formal education. Don't feel prideful that you do have the formal education. And somewhere in between there, you pray and say, well, God, where are you leading me? And then you got to go be you and you got to go execute on the on the stuff that you know in your heart where God is leading you to go and do those things, right? I mean, that's 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 just my take. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And uh, so as we begin to wrap up here, Lane, I would like you to, if I can just throw something out here, if you can give me, give these youth workers a, and this is a surprise question, so if you don't have an answer, I, it's okay. But do you have a good illustration that a youth worker could take away from today? And it could be on anything. Maybe it's something you've seen. Maybe it's something you've done. And you say, you know what? This is a pretty good illustration. If you If you can execute on this illustration, your kids are about to get a valuable lesson on this. Let, let me uh, let, let me let me try. Let do, you me want, try do you want me to give? Do you want me to give mine, and then you can give yours? I'll give you a little extra. A couple yeah, of that minutes. sounds great. Okay, so I did a lesson one time called uh, "Framing Your Faith," and I dealt with kids who was all feeling and no um, no knowledge. So I called it "Framing Your Faith." And I talked about the fact that a picture you can have just a blank, just a picture up there. And take it and take some tape on it and slap it on the wall and it looks wonderful and say, look at that thing. But the, but it has no no borders to it. It has no anything that, that brings the picture even clearer out. So even though we are passionate, even though we have a great color scheme, even though the art is pretty good, it, without a frame, it doesn't pop. And so I did and I talked about – um, the framework that we place around, which is doctrine, I know that's not super exciting, but 
for me, I had kids who didn't understand, underst- they did not understand why they believed what they believed. And I said, listen, if you will understand your passion, this very thing that you have within you, and understand that this is why it is what it is, the picture you're trying to get across about Jesus makes a whole lot more sense. Here's what the here's what scripture says. It's not just all emotion, but there's something around that. There's that the, that biblical framework around your artistic expression of who you want Jesus to be and who you want to show, but the Bible will make it pop. The Bible, as you understand the Word of God, will make it even more vivid why your faith is real, and and you're able to express that to other people. So I had a giant-sized frame uh, that I would step in and out of, and then I would tag my 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 four doctrines or whatever I would put around there, the, the four things that really make uh, uh, you know, Jesus, the reality in your life. And I just use the whole frame, um, of using that. So that is my simple illustration. Uh, I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Um, that's, uh, that's really, really, um, vivid. Um, and I think very necessary. Um, okay. So I have, I have one now. (laughs) Okay. Super. Um, so this is, this is one that I use that, um, you can, you can, there's a few different ways you can take this, but, um, the, 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 the point of this illustration is to demonstrate that if, if you're, if you're struggling in your student ministry with your students being consumeristic, that they, they, they think that your job as the student pastor is to provide a, a great space. It's supposed to be, it needs to be entertaining. It needs to be fun. It needs to be challenging, whatever the case may be, but they don't want to have any stake in it. They don't want to be, they don't want to be a part of making it happen. And you're really trying to get them to, understand that it's a it's a ministry of students not just a ministry to students you're not doing something to them you're trying to empower them to be leaders and to take ownership one way that you can get this across is um demonstrating the difference between a a steakhouse and a uh, a a soup kitchen so what you do is you get a you get a table and you you dress it up nice like like a steakhouse and you know, some of the kids won't relate because they've never been to a steakhouse. But the ones who have parents rich enough to have taken them, yeah. you know, will. But you can you can take it in a number of different ways. But basically, you set up like a nice dinner, right. and you sit down and you grab a menu and you talk through what you do when you go to a nice restaurant. It could be a steakhouse, could be whatever. Um, and maybe you can talk about when they go to prom or when they go to homecoming or whatever the case may be. When they when they actually go out nice. Uh, what they do is they sit down and everything's done for them, right? The waiter comes, the server comes, they give their order, um, they give their kind of list of demands, and um, and then the waiter goes away and and uh, the the kitchen makes the food and they bring it back and magically this this food appears and their only job is to sit there and eat it. Isn't that nice, right? And that's yeah. that's why we all love restaurants because that's what we get to do at restaurants. And so if we approach church or we approach the student ministry like a steakhouse, then we're always going to be asking the question, who's serving me? And here's my list of demands, and here's what I want. And then if you're doing this with adults, one of the, one of the best things you can do, and I, I did this at, at, at my church before, was at the end of the meal, they, they come and bring you the, the check. And I said, this is the point in the meal where you look around and say, well, this is a nice restaurant, and there's lots of people eating here. Someone else will pick this up. And you put it down and you, and you get up and that's when you can do a little jab and say, actually, that's what you guys do, or at least whatever percentage of your people aren't giving. Um, it's kind of fun. Um, if you're willing to be so bold. Uh, so I did that and got a laugh. It was, it was fun because the next week we're going to talk about giving, but the point is 
you, you walk them through the scenario of what you do at a restaurant. Then you get up and you walk over to just a table. You get, you get a big pot on it. You get an apron and you get something to stir the pot. You walk over it and you put on the apron and you start stirring the pot and you say, this is a soup kitchen. And at a soup kitchen, you're not making, you know, if you're, if you're the one working at the soup kitchen, you're not making demands. Uh, you're not expecting anything. You're there to serve. You've got your apron, you've got your, your spatula and you're, you are there to do your, your, your posture is how can I help? How can I serve? How can I give? And they're two very different things. And so if you think this student ministry is a steakhouse, if you think the student ministry is a, is a nice fine dining restaurant, then you've missed it. Okay. Because, um, th- this is a, this is a place where we serve, where we give, where we provide. Um, and so like, I want you to get up from your seat and put down your list of demands and start using your giftedness to serve other people. That's a great illustration just because kids have to know it's, it, there's a vast difference. Young people, younger people is a vast difference in, uh, serving and, uh, just, uh, uh, saying, hey, do for me. And so hopefully we're going to fix that in the future here. Future generations, we can we can fix that out. But- well, and, and I'll tell you, I mean, this, this generation, uh, the generation Z, the, this coming generation and the, the millennials of which I'm a part, unfortunately, um, they uh, they are allegedly all about serving. So yeah, <laughs> and, and, and mission. So so maybe there's a step in the right direction. Maybe we can harness that, you know. Absolutely. I think we can. I think we can do that. But Lane, tell us a little bit about what you have going on over there at the uh, PreachingDonkey.com. Tell me what all you have going on. What are some things that uh, – and, and of course all your your contact information, that kind of stuff, where can the people reach on social, that kind of thing. But maybe you have some things going on that you want to invite our listeners into. Absolutely. So you can find me on Twitter at PreachingDonkey. You can also uh, find us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash PreachingDonkey. And then, of course, everything you want to know about what we do at PreachingDonkey.com. There's about 60 articles on there. There's about 45 or 46 podcast episodes. And there's a book, and there's another book coming. So I'm writing that right now about halfway through. It's going to be about how to take, uh, how to really hone your skills and maximize your impact as a, as a preacher. So Preaching Killer Sermons, it'll kind of take it to the next level and say, how do we really drill down on the the things that make a message really pop. And, uh, and so that, that's coming out. Uh, my, my kind of uh, unofficial deadline is, to get that out is around June or July. And so um, that's, that's coming quickly. But, you know, there's a whole lot of free resources on the site. And if you subscribe to our email list, I send out things um, two or three times a week that are either resources for, resources from my site or people that I, I you know trust and uh, and things that you that can benefit your preaching and teaching. So that's where you can find me, and that's what I'm up to. That is fantastic, Lane. Lane, thank you so much for being on the uh, on the podcast. Today. I appreciate your wisdom, your insight, your love for youth workers. Uh, I hope that all our listeners uh, just jump on there and contact you and hit you up with questions and and uh, and just say thanks for for honing in on such a valuable, valuable uh, tool, which is communication that we use every week and all the time to communicate with students the greatest message in the entire world, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to thank you for being on and just sharing your heart with us today. Thank you so much. And I, I, meant, to, I meant to say this, lane at preachingdonkey.com if you just want to email me, um, lane at preachingdonkey.com. There you go. Well, fantastic. And I'm sure our listeners will hit you up 
shortly, I hope. So, but that's it for today, guys. I appreciate you guys hanging out, being a part of the podcast today. Don't forget, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please be sure to go over there at the iTunes and uh, give it a few stars, maybe a review. Lane's going to be on there. I'm telling you, Lane's going to get off right now, and he's going to go over there and leave a review. So if you want to read Lane's review of how terrible this was and say, this is the worst experience of my entire life, uh, just go ahead over there and leave your review, and his review will be up shortly. But other than that, thank you for joining me today. Don't forget to uh, subscribe, and uh, I'll be in your ear very, very soon. We'll talk to you guys later. Bye.